Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast-growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining us this week. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Enterprise Sales Development. I'm Eric Quanstrom, the CMO at Science. Today's episode, really fun one. We had Megan Hurley, who is the Director of Sales Development over at Circle. And oh boy, if she is in, a, in one of the most fascinating spaces in crypto, and we get into that at, at the tail end of the episode, I think you're really going to want to listen to it because she's she's got it mastered and Circle has got the cat by the tail. Really interesting company on the move, growing like, like a weed and super exciting. But you're going to get so much more from Megan because you ever met those people that just have their, frankly, shit together and, and really tight? And you can tell they're just wonderful managers who don't miss a trick and have amazing workflows and would be like just amazing to work for. Yeah, that's Megan. So she came, this was the third act of her career now in sales development, but she came to Circle after going on the full, you know, kind of ride for Sprinkler, leading sales development over there through an IPO and then actually choosing to work at Circle. So really great background, super insightful interview. You're going to get a ton out of it. Without further ado, let's get to it. Here's Megan. So we're here with Megan Hurley. And Megan, you were just sharing with me kind of offline that <laughs> your career in sales is actually your kind of third act, third step in your career. Tell me more. Yeah. So I actually started my career as a music educator. So I was a general music teacher for middle school students. And I also taught chorus. I have a, I'm a classically trained singer. So that's where I really got started. And I taught middle school for about four years. I taught preschool for a year. Um, I really enjoyed it. I learned that there's actually a lot of selling involved in teaching, especially when you're teaching something that's as specialized as music, where maybe the interest isn't always immediately there. So you really have to, to do some selling and to convince, especially middle schoolers, why they should care about reading music and learning music history and things like that. And then uh, I that was when I was living back up in New England. I currently live in Austin, Texas. When I moved to Texas, I decided to switch careers. And that's when I, I moved actually into my second career, which was retail banking. And so I worked for a very large bank here in the US for about eight years. Learned a lot there. I, I started as a teller and then worked through all the positions within the banking center, all the way up through managing banking centers. Uh, and that's where I really developed my my first sales skills, like true sales skills and, and identifying needs and, and meeting them with the products that the bank had. And that's also where I learned that I liked sales, which is something that I kind of came to reluctantly. Right. So it's it's not always something that that you fall into naturally. <laughs> Were you a never saleser prior to that? Yes, yeah, and it was kind of one of those things where I would talk people talk to people about credit cards or talk to people about additional banking accounts or you know mortgage services, and you'd get that little feeling that you can't really explain unless you're a salesperson. But uh, that's how I kind of got to the point where I was like, wow, I not only am I kind of good at this, but I actually enjoy it as well, and so maybe I should start looking into a career in it. That's huge, and that brings us to the current third act, which is you in sales development. 
Yes. Yeah. So I, uh, it, I got to a point with banking where it really came to move out of Austin and stay with the bank or find something new. And uh, if you've ever been to Austin, it's awesome here. So I definitely wanted to stay. So I started looking at new and emerging industries and tech was one of them. So I, I got into social tech at the time, uh, more of an account management customer success role, but eventually found myself at a, a company called Sprinkler working on their sales development team to start but then really had the opportunity to, to utilize the experience I'd gotten managing banks to then manage SDR teams. So it was an awesome experience. Got to help grow the team hugely within the US. We went from about a dozen folks to, I think it was just under 60 when I also wow. went the company, went through an IPO, which was an awesome experience as well, of course. And then I was just looking to kind of emulate that again and, and find a new industry leader, a company that was poised on the the really the brink of explosive growth where I could develop my own team and 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 kind of make a, a the world's best enterprise SDR team. That's what I always tell my team we're, we're going to be. Um, and that's how I found my new home at Circle, where I've been for just under a year now. That's great. Well, you got to believe it to achieve it, right? And vision, yeah. like it will be the best enterprise SDR team out there. Yes. I yep. have no doubt. In the world. <laughs> I love that. Worldwide. That's cool. How did you kind of transition into sales development like at Sprinkler since you had come from an account management background and then, you know, kind of like just moving in that direction? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in sales, especially tech sales, it's a lot about who you know and maintaining some really strong relationships. So at the the first company that I had joined um, when I first started in tech, a few folks that I had worked with there had transitioned over and actually started the the or helped to start the SDR team at Sprinkler. So when they they were growing their team, they reached out to me about an opportunity there, and it was a new skill, right? Like I I had yeah. been on account management and retention and and there was a there was a degree of upselling there but being an enterprise SDR was a totally new world because I'd previously been focused on small to medium sized businesses so it was there was a lot to learn what do you think for someone who might be taking or biting off the exact same sort of journey what do you think is is maybe the biggest learning starting out as an enterprise SDR it's really uh for me it's about understanding business pains. And it's not just about a numbers game for sales, especially in the enterprise world, because so often, you know, you have your KPIs in front of you and it's just about hitting that immediate number. And yeah. I think for a lot of SDRs, the the enterprise SDRs, the switch doesn't flip until you really understand it's not about you know, sending a certain number of emails or making a certain number of calls. It's about doing the right emails, the right calls, the getting the right message out there so that you can achieve your ultimate goal, which is the number of meetings that you're looking to achieve, the amount of pipeline that you're looking to create, the number of closed one deals that you're looking to influence. Well, and, and that matters even more too, because traditionally, and every stat in the world backs this up, the size of the business usually puts a damper on effective connection rates, response rates, like you name it, the rates go down, the bigger the company is. Yeah, you're really fighting the battle. I, I tell my team all the time, you're fighting the battle to to win the eyeball real estate game. Like just mm -hmm. getting in front of people is often the hardest part. So you have to really put the time into effective subject lines, into doing things that are going to help you stand out from all of the other messaging that ends up in in all of these executive and C-suite folks' inboxes for these huge, huge companies because everybody wants to talk to them. Yeah, for sure. And so... Whether it's um, sprinkler or circle, what what would be a good example of like some of the ways in which you would 
you know, sharpen the saw there, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a good mix of personalization, true personalization to the person, but also business pain. So I it, I tell my team, you know, you want to focus on either personal outreach, business outreach, or industry outreach. You have to come with some sort of point of view. So it's always best, you know, if you can find a relevant article or podcast or quote from the person that you're trying to reach out to. If you can't though, then you know, focus on what their their business pains are. Go to their 10Ks, go to their earnings calls, find out what their executives are saying is their North Star initiative for that year, and then find a way that your product and service can solve for that. If you go into these conversations just trying to say, this is why my company is great, here's a bullet point about my product, you're not meeting any need, right? And you're not sh- you're not really like earning the right to a conversation, which ultimately that's every SDR's goal is to to get somebody on the phone and earn their time. Boy, I, I love that word earn because it's so powerful and it's so it it actually suggests a contract, doesn't it? That you know, busy, oversubscribed, otherwise like burdened people, the objects of our affection, our prospects. Um, you know, they don't just open the gate, open the door, open, you know, their inbox for anybody, do they? No, not at all. And I I, I used to work with a, a very talented uh, SVP of sales at Sprinkler who would always talk about making deposits into the trust bank um, during the sales process. I think that starts from the SDR. You're earning the right to their time by showing them that you understand their business, that you've done the research, that you're not just product pushing down their throat, that you're saying, hey, you said this or your CEO said this, and this is how I think I can specifically help you solve this problem, which is going to help you get great internal recognition or get a promotion or you know just really how am I how can I help you get to where you need to go and are you like now in your role on the journey to becoming the world's best enterprise <laughs> SDR team how does how does that work in like the day-to-day with your team where you are you guys cracking open a 10k of all of like the the companies that you're prospecting into and then teaching your team how to read either a 10k or a 10q and almost have the language of business like mm-hmm. as part of their training Yes. Yeah. We do a lot of um, of coaching together, right? We actually just got done doing an outbound training workshop and it, and that resulted in a, an activity where we picked an enterprise company and everybody was given the goal of finding your ideal prospect, kind of just with an outline of within the C-suite or an executive level and write a compelling message. And then everybody on the revenue team at Circle was very gracious with their time and they all voted. They took the time to read through all of these these different entries. And it was a great exercise. It was great PR for the SDR team here at Circle. But more than that, it was really excellent to see how everybody thinks about research and how everybody's coming at these potential conversations and and really developing a value proposition around our products and services. That is an awesome exercise. I bet everybody loved it too. Yeah, lots of great feedback on it. And then um, it really gives me an opportunity as a manager and director to to dig deep into the message and the thought process with each SDR after the fact and just kind of sit down with them and tell and have them tell me, why did you pick this person? How did you go about the research? What made you pick this particular point to focus in on? And then we can really dissect it and figure out like, was that the the best way to go? Are there other potential avenues that we could travel down in the future? I really spend a lot of time with coaching and development with my team. I think it's like the most important thing that, a, that an SDR leader can do. 
That's fabulous. Um, maybe we continue to pull on that thread a little bit and and tell me about some of your coaching kind of like habits that you get into or even how you structure those coaching sessions. Yeah. So I uh, am a big believer in structured one-on-ones. I I think you need to meet with your team every single week to really understand what's going on, not in a micromanagey sort of way, but definitely just in an ongoing support way. I really task my team to view it as their time. So I always ask them to come with an agenda. Uh, I'll always have items that I'm happy to talk about with them, of course, but I want them to drive the conversation because it should be a, a time that's solely dedicated to their needs. So I think that that's, that's the most important message is to just tell them, hey, you're not showing up and just expecting me to kind of like info dump or really like just talk about KPIs and data. We can do that, of course, but if there are things that are more pressing for you if you want to work on role playing or if there's a call that you want to get feedback on put that in the agenda so that way I can I can prepare appropriately and then come ready to serve you that is awesome and I just cut that at the end too there sounds like you know service leadership's kind of a big big deal to you yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 don't, I hesitate to say I'm a servant leader, but I think it's kind of like an overused term. But I mean, I, I, I am very dedicated to the development of my team because I spend a long time finding the right folks for my team. And I think that once you bring the right people on board in order to show them that you know, they have found the right home um, because I want them to stay with the company for a long time and find their their next role within the company. Uh, you have to to really show them how dedicated you are to their success personally and that they're not just a number. They're not just another quota. They're not just another metric. So I have full understanding of where everybody in my team wants to go at all time and what their gaps are that we need to address to get them there. And, and what kind of team size are you working with like currently? Just to give the the listeners an idea of, you know, how to structure their own one on ones and and how you're doing it today. Yeah, it's a great question. So we are focused on growth right now at Circle. So when I joined the company, uh, I had one S- very talented SDR. Um, I am up to eleven right now. Wow. Yeah. So that's only been a little under a year. Um, I've just recently brought on my first manager to the team. So it's very important to me. Respond to grow the team responsibly and make sure that as we continue to have individual contributors, that there is a, an appropriate support level built in. So we brought on a manager uh, to to make sure to fill that, and then we're we're continuing to grow for the rest of the year as well. So we're currently at a team of eleven individual contributors, one manager, and then myself as a director. Well, that is ten x growth. <laughs> Hey, you start from the ground floor and you just keep building, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to say that when you start with one, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But what that also suggests is that you've been successful enough to where you've got demonstrated pipeline and growth to where management budgets and everyone else in the company would say, this is a great place to invest and allocate capital going forward. Right. Because yeah. People don't just grow for growth's sake and throw money at the problem like willy-nilly, especially not in your space. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's very true. And I think like for, for any SDR leader, it's really important that you are always first and foremost the PR agent for your department yeah. um, because that's how you get resources. And, and obviously, you have to have the numbers to back it up. And that means putting a lot of work in and making sure that you have 
built structures and processes and procedures and that you're pulling the right data in order to show your performance results. But it also means um, being very vocal about your team's successes in as public, you know, if you've, if you've got like a, a sales team Slack channel, post, post a great message that an SDR has sent that's gotten a meeting in there and just continue to show the work that your team is doing. So it's not behind the scenes because I think so often SDRs work behind the scenes and yes. they don't get that recognition and then you just don't get the support that you need. Boy, truer words have never been spoken. And that that sharing of the narrative to me feels like the beginnings of probably what is a very effective feedback loop too, right? Because SDRs do work behind the scenes, but you know, ultimately it's never an academic exercise. It's always to start a sales conversation that hopefully leads to a close one piece of business, right? Yes. Yeah. And so I think that that's a really great point. You need to not only be focused on what your team is doing, but how it affects the teams that you support. So having really close alignment to the sales leadership is also vital to understand, like, are we focused on the same prospects that you would focus on? Is the messaging that we're sending something that resonates with you? Do you identify with this value statement? And really making sure that they are fully bought into your process, because if there's a disconnect there, that is, uh, I've, I've seen that happen in companies where then it can start to be kind of a war between, you know, who's creating what leads when it in fact should be a very strong partnership. Yeah, partnership. Amen to that. Um, how does your company in particular handle like the dynamic between say SDRs, sales and or marketing, like where all those live? It's 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 really great here at Circle because the marketing team here is focused on the exact same goals that the revenue team is. So it's not about, again, like taking credit for a lead. It's about looking at the leads that are coming in saying, are they the right type of leads? Are they getting to where they need to go? Are, and then are the SDRs picking them up and, and routing them appropriately, qualifying them appropriately? It truly is a, a funnel. And um, it's something that we're constantly perfecting. So I probably meet with my partners in marketing just as much if not more than I do with my partners in sales leadership, okay. which I think is super vital to the process. So it's like a triangle for you guys and you're, you're handling both inbound lead qual and routing as well as outbound outreach. Yes. Yep. SD, all leads come to the SDR team, whether they be inbound or, or the results of our outbound efforts. That's great. I, I think there's no better way to do that. I, I know another company that does it that way too. So. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, it, it works pretty well for us too. <laughs> I'd love to go back to something that you said earlier. Again, I, I, I love this, this way of describing kind of like shaping or sharing the narrative across company and choosing what wins to share or how to evaluate kind of an SDR role. Because one of the things that I've observed in my career is that a, I think most people and definitely everyone listening to this podcast would agree that the SDR role is maybe one of the most difficult in any company anywhere, bar none. Fair? Are we on the same page on that one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not only is it most difficult, but it's probably underappreciated. It's usually a, a fairly, you know, kind of like new role. You're somewhat anomalous in, in the fact that, like, when you started out as an SDR, you had two kind of other prior, you know, kind of careers under your belt. And a little bit of seasoning and maybe even that like business acumen and perspective that others don't have. But tell me how like how you guys are or how you are are prioritizing or even some of the messaging that you use to shape that narrative to the rest of the company to get them to realize like just all that goes into the job that you're doing. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just being extremely transparent about the process. Mm. You know, I I am a process queen for sure. I love there's nothing I love more than documenting a good process that's scalable and everybody that works with me knows that. And yeah. I think that's where it starts, like to have to develop something and have it written in a shareable format where you can then roll it out to other members of the company and especially with a company like Circle where we are scaling very quickly, you always have new folks coming in. So to be able to share that with them is is super super helpful. And I think also picking out the the successful messages. Like I said, we um, I not only share them in our internal Slack channels, I also put together kind of like an SDR uh, handbook for like your first day on the job, everything that you need. And part of that is a wins document where we just constantly are adding in successful outbound messaging so that people can go in and first of all, view what we're doing and see kind of like the process behind it and how we research and how we write, but then also go in and pick and choose t- things that they might want to you know, steal for their own process. Oh, I love that. So in the wins document, are there like templates or like little snippets or are we talking about like more specific examples of? There are more specific examples of of outreach that have resulted in wins. Um, I don't think that using a, a purely templated outreach is is going to be something that's most successful within the enterprise. You really do need to to find a pain that you're going to solve for. So we provide the SDRs with a mix of templated like value statements, but then give them the freedom to personalize the rest of the email. So we have a structure that we work around involving personalization, identifying pain, value statement, call to action. But within that template, there's a lot of freedom to really find your own voice and and find something that works for you. That's cool. And and then the SDRs have their own kind of like best judgment, common sense, whatever you want to call it, to apply the kind of like their own words at the right times. Exactly. Because I don't think you become a top performing SDR by just checking boxes and just using what's directly in front of you. I think um, I want to provide my team with skeletons. I want to give them ideas of templates that they can use for follow-ups and cadences that have found success. But I also want to encourage them to personalize their templates and to A-B test different cadences that might be more effective, especially for my current role with Circle, where we are very much identifying our market fit outside of the crypto native universe. I want to try different things to see what's going to be most successful as we really get out there and spread the message of, of USDC, which is what we're what our primary goal is. And as part of identifying that market fit, um, I'm imagining that you're figuring out kind of like a whole new who. You know, so like your ideal customer profile, if you use that acronym, yep. um, you know, of ICP, is is that where you're starting? Yes. Yeah. And and to kind of go back to your question earlier about how we work with marketing, I would really be remiss if I didn't mention our product marketing team because that's what they are laser focused on. They're dedicated to helping us understand who the ICP is within each vertical that we are addressing, what the verticals are that we should be reaching out to. And I think right now we're at a very high level. And as we as we really continue to reach out and, and understand who is receptive to this messaging, that's going to be my team's responsibilities to communicate that back to product marketing so that way they can continue to help us refine our messaging and refine who we're targeting. 
Boy, you know, you hit on something that I think is as as a kind of lifelong marketer, and you know, I guess my fifth CMO role here at, at Science. One of the things that I've always felt to be true about outbound is that you know a lot of people call it direct response, and that direct response means you can learn a ton about your market, right? That sounds to me like exactly what's happening in your case, is it? Yes, yeah, and I think that that's kind of the missing piece for a lot of companies is they that the SDRs that are really you know to use a, a overused term, they're the tip of the spear, right? They're yeah. out there, they're they're the ones having the first conversations. They have so much knowledge about not only the target companies that you're reaching out to, but also the feedback that is coming in from the people that they're talking to. And I think that if if organizations are not, you know, interviewing SDRs or or at least making it very easy for them to submit product feedback, then you're really doing yourself an injustice. Yeah, I think that that's totally true. In fact, I had a, a previous guest talking a lot about. Um, their belief that the SDR role is really, we're on the precipice of of seeing it open up in a lot of other departments, including customer success, right? Where the skills that are involved with interacting with, with customers, gleaning insights and potentially upsell, cross-sell or new conversations beginning is just such a natural, you know, almost SDR extension. Yeah. And I think within the enterprise, SDRs should be working very closely with customer success, especially if you have a product that's expansive enough to to kind of cross-sell throughout their organization. So you who knows better than the CSM, you know, who who's who in the zoo, who's open to a conversation, who's happy, who's not happy. Um, they can really, really guide you. And that that I think is a very strong partnership as well. Well, and it gets you closer to what a lot of people would call voice of the customer too. Too, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Because that you know, you really want to understand. I, I think like a lot of SDRs are, are charged with just creating new opportunities and outbounding into new logos. But if you're if you're a true enterprise product, your best customer is the one that's already signed with you, yeah. right? And it's just looking at are they taking advantage of our current product set, and how can we potentially expand that? But yeah, to your point, voice of the customer is very important because if they are not pleased with the current state of the, the product that they're using, then there's no chance that they're going to expand. Well, and, and I think the other thing too, with voice of the customer, in my experience, when you can start to leverage social proof, when you can start to talk in kind of the vernacular of your customers, when you can understand the problem space and how do I say this nicely for all my marketing peeps out there, when you can drop the marketees and actually use real language that your real customers talk about the real value that you're returning to them. It's so much more resonant, isn't it? 100%. And that's like whenever um, I'm helping SDRs develop their outbound outreach, I always catch them having the most trouble when they're, they're, trying to spell out the pain that they've identified. And they always fall back on kind of technical jargon. And I always say to them, what's the real thing that you want to know from this person? What's the If you were in a room with them, what's the question that you would ask? Would you say it like that? Or would you just say, hey, how are you trying to do this thing that your boss said was really important to you? And why wouldn't you just say it like that? Right. Why, why do we put on those clothes? Why, like, what do you think that is about... Because we all know it. Like this is the most familiar story in the world. Why do you think that we like there's just so much of the bad? And I say that as someone who gets terrible cold outreach on the regular 
every day? <laughs> I think I think it has to do a little bit with like putting your prospect on a pedestal, you know. And and um, I, as I used to work with, I used to have the the honor of working with Dick Dunkel, um, who taught me about seller deficit disorder, which I think is like the best way to explain it. It's so many salespeople think that they're coming into these conversations at a a, a a place that puts them lesser than the prospect. And that's not the case because you, if you really do your research and you've really identified a pain that you can solve, why wouldn't you just come out and ask the person if you can help them, right? I think if you're not really sure about how you can help that business, then you fall back on the jargon and and the tech words and and make trying to make yourself sound as, as knowledgeable as possible when in reality, you're really just alienating your prospect because you're not speaking a language that they understand. But I always try to tell my team, I'm like, that's that's a person, you know, it might be a CMO, it might be a CEO, it might be a founder, but they're still a person with problems that they need to solve for their job. And they're also a person that has like, you know, a life. They probably have a dog at home and they have to go home and figure out what to make for dinner. So just have a genuine, realistic conversation with them. Yeah, that's so important. And it, it is such a front. It's almost like we're all trying to fake it till we make it, doing it the other way. Yes. But I think, you know, again, that, that goes back to like really not understanding who you're helping or why you're trying to help them. So I think like if you if you're just going after a company because they're on your target list, you're not coming at it the right way. If you have a target list, it's up to you to really look into each one of the companies and say, is it the right time? Is there is there a why behind why they would want to talk to me? And if I can't find it, if I can clearly identify that, maybe that's a prospect I move to the back of my list and sub somebody else up towards the front. That's a great method of prioritization. By the way, the most commonsensical one I think I've heard in a long time, you know, where where you almost just create this condition where like, hey, if I don't have anything to say, why say it? Exactly. Because you, you, if there's no pain to solve for, what what reason is there for that person to talk to you? And sometimes you create pain, which is fine. But one of my former teams, we would always say, you don't have to have the right point of view, but you have to have a point of view. Yeah. And either way, you're going to learn something because your prospect will either confirm your point of view or they'll correct you and tell you what's really important to them. <laughs> That's true. It's human nature to always be correcting anything that one sees or comes across that they feel isn't right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Which, by the way, is a is a prospecting kind of like golden nugget in so many ways, right? Like if if we lead with with a perspective, like you're saying, then best case scenario, maybe we're getting corrected because that that means that there's interest and engagement and people like wanting to correct, isn't it? Exactly. Yes. When when you have a prospect that's asking questions or giving feedback, then you know that you've got them. It's when you've got a prospect on a call that is just like blankly staring and saying, uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's that's not the prospect you're looking for. <laughs> or you you hear in that tone like every way to just try to get off the call as fast as possible. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, why did I hang, why did I pick this up? So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of that too comes back down to like some of the fundamentals of even starting a conversation that you had mentioned earlier. And and I like your label, putting your product on a pet pedestal or or leading with oneself, right? Like I think that that's probably the biggest stumbling block maybe that we see in in so much prospecting today, right? It's not leading with the other person, not leading with their problems, not like having even a perspective or a hypothesis of why would this be interesting to you? Here's why I think. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and you, you have to have an idea of how you can help somebody. And I, I know you said earlier, you get a lot of terrible sales outreach. I do as well. And um, I, I really think, you know, SDR leaders more than probably other, other folks are, are willing to kind of be open to those kind of conversations, but it's so kind of disheartening to me when I get a message that is sent to me and I'm like, that has nothing to do with what I do or what I care about. And I try to make it pretty easy to research me and figure out what I do, mostly for for when I'm interviewing uh, candidates, to be honest with you. I want to find out kind of what the research that they're doing on me is. <laughs> well, it's, it's like you said at the outset, you know, like even when you were, you were in the music career, selling is involved, right? Because Hey, part of our job, especially when we're hiring people, is convincing people or convince maybe not even the right word, but we're selling the idea of working in on our team for this company, following this agenda, working for me, you know, like if I'm the hiring manager <laughs> type of thing. And that is a sales, you know, kind of job, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're always selling. And I think um, when you're looking for SDRs, it's uh, that's how I always open every hiring manager conversation that I have is like, this is not just a chance for me to interview you. It's also a chance for you to figure out if this is the right opportunity and the right company for you. So like, I'm going to have some questions for you, but I fully expect for you to have a lot of questions for me. You know, that's so funny. I have the back half and I always leave in any job interview that I've ever done pretty much for the last decade and a half, like I'll, I'll leave with, and what questions have you prepared for my interview, your floor go. And mm -hmm. you know, that that's a huge like kind of index or weight, if I would put it in those terms for what I'm going to assess that interview and its effectiveness, you know, like did this person take the interview situation seriously? Are they thinking on the fly if they didn't prepare a darn thing? Like at the very least, I like to see what, what kind of questions and really it teases out curiosity, doesn't it? At yes. the end of the day, how curious someone is. Curious people by nature will almost always have a ton of questions. Yeah. I mean, if it's something that they're serious about and if it the the company is some is, has a mission that they're interested in, um, and if the role is something that they're really interested in being a top performer at, they're going to have questions about why your company exists, what you're focused on, but also what it takes to be individually successful within that role. So there, you know, there should be a ton of questions. A ton of questions. And you can that's one thing that's really hard to fake too in an interview situation, right? Is is that just genuine curiosity of why did you do it that way? Or how do you do this? Or why is this the way that it appears to me from the outside looking in? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're if you're gonna take the time to express interest in a company and and set up an interview, the least you can do is understand like what is important to them. It's it's the same as if you're researching a company for outreach. You know, you want to understand yeah. what the business priorities are and how you could potentially as an employee help them solve for them. I'm really curious too, and and take this as personal or not personal as as you see fit. But I'm sensing, especially with what you shared earlier about, hey, I had made this move, been at Sprinkler for a while. We had an amazing ride, win IPO, and you're probably sitting there thinking, I could go any direction with my career I want at this stage of the game. What led you to Circle? What kind of questions did you ask, and what like kind of pushed you over the the top? That this was the right next jump for you? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. And I will tell you, when I was looking for my next role, I did a very expansive search because I wasn't really sure what I wanted next. It is not 
easy to go through an IPO push, you know, it, it helping helping the company get to where they got over my four and a half year tenure at Sprinkler was very rewarding, but super hard. I mean, I definitely needed a break after that. And so I wanted to interview with a variety of companies. And I talked to a few companies where I could just go and kind of check boxes and know that I would mm. be successful. But the more I talked to Circle, when I first started having conversations with Circle, I was like, this is super interesting. It's a company that can really actually like make a difference in the world. But I also know it's going to be incredibly hard. I'm going to have to, to go back to the beginning and really create this program, not from scratch because there was an existing program here, but really build off of that and, and create something very big from it. And I, I just knew it was going to be very challenging. But the more time I took off, I took about two months off between roles, uh, the more I realized that building the team or helping to build the team at Sprinkler and helping to put all that in place was what I had enjoyed the most and found the most rewarding and getting it to the point where it's just like a very well-oiled machine and fully functioning. That's what I enjoyed. And that's what I wanted to emulate. And Circle checked every single box for me. And, you know, the leadership here is is really, really phenomenal, incredibly diverse. And that's something else that I was looking for as well. So like the C-suite here at Circle works harder than I do, which is hard to, like, hard to accomplish because I work really, really hard. But it's very inspiring to, to look out and see Jeremy Lair and Dante Desparte out there traveling constantly, just talking about the benefits of USDC and what it could potentially do for the world. I honestly don't know when they get to be at home and just see their families. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and very accomplished in prior roles too, and still having kind of like that, you didn't use this word, but it, I'm, I'm sensing a bit of like even grind that's inherent to them. Is that a fair characterization? Yes, yeah. I mean, they it, they live and breathe USDC. It's it's like if you were to ask them what their hobbies were, that it would be that. You know, so that that it's it's easy to be passionate about something that it, that is your your hobby. But yeah, in their their past roles as well. Um, you know, Dante was previously at Meta, um, and Jeremy Lair previously at Bright, Bright Cove. But yeah, very successful and and always um, really like leaning into the mission. But I think with this particular company and this particular product that we have in USDC, it's like, it's something that you can believe in even a step beyond that. Right, right. Well, you know, ultimately, and I think Jeremy also probably had a little bit of history in dot-com one days, even before yep. Bright Cove. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Getting very famous always, for. Always been a visionary. <laughs> so, some of us with, with a few gray hairs <laughs> remember that name very well. At any rate, and, and actually for our listeners who may not be up to speed and as familiar with USDC or kind of like, you know, the crypto space, would you mind just giving kind of like the elevator pitch? Yeah, absolutely. So USDC is a digital dollar asset, um, sometimes referred to as a stable coin. And there's a lot of news about stable coins recently in the past few months. So the difference between USDC and other stable coins is we are fully backed by the US dollar. So for every one US dollar coin in circulation, we hold one US dollar in reserve, either in a savings account or in a, a US uh, T-bill. So a, a short duration US T-bill. So that's our main service. And the the, the real beauty of USDC is that it brings the functionality of the US dollar to the power of the internet. So you aren't really harnessed or you aren't really held back by a lot of the things that traditional finance has in place with 
processing times, with exchange fees, with transfer fees. USDC really opens up a lot of doors for folks who, you know, don't may not currently have access to the traditional banking system, whose local currencies maybe are not as stable as the U.S. dollar. And so it, it really is the bridge between traditional currency or fiat, as it's known within the crypto world, and cryptocurrency, which are and, more like Bitcoin or, or more like security based. And I, I think it goes without saying, but I'm still curious to ask the question. You see this as the future, right? Like kind of that that bridge, if you will, to... <laughs> the way the world will work going forward. Yeah. We we truly are building the future of money. And I think like to, to be part of a company that is creating a new currency with USDC. And we've also recently released the Eurocoin, which is a very similar concept, except be except for being backed by the US dollar, it's backed by the Euro. But having the opportunity to be part of that, very few people, I think, can say that. And so it, it's easy to get very passionate about the mission. And it's it's really cool to think about, you know, the accessibility and, and being able to, to move money very quickly. But when you really kind of expand and think about the potential global impact that it can have on for people, that's what really gets me very excited about what we're doing. And bringing this all back to kind of like your enterprise SDR team, how much education do you do you find yourself doing kind of like like you just did for us and our listeners as part of the prospecting process so much i mean i think usdc and circle is very well known within the crypto native community um we even still have some work to do there with continuing education but thinking outside of that space and and kind of the additional verticals that we'd like to talk to, like it's specifically the enterprise, there's a lot of education to do there. Even companies that have maybe folks on their team that are starting to look into cryptocurrency or looking into creating a crypto infrastructure, they may not be fully familiar with all of the different types of cryptocurrency or even how USDC differs from other stable coins that are out there. And so that's really the big job of my team team. And I, I always joke with my team. I'm like, I wonder if, you know, when when we switch from gold over to the dollar, if there were like SDRs needing to go out and really pitch the dollar versus versus gold the way that we are right now. Um, but it really makes you think about like how, how you create mass adoption of a new currency. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of a really interesting, it's a big subject, like big. Like, yeah, get any it, it is massive. I mean, it's, it's, it's not only a big subject for us, but it's, it's a big subject for the government right now. You know, yeah. uh, we've, there's a lot of conversation going on around stable coins and I, I'm not too educated on it to, to speak to it in the way that, you know, Jeremy Lair and Don Sparte can, but they testify in front of Congress and in front of the Senate. Yeah. Um, but it's really cool to be part of a company that is, is leading the charge when it comes to creating something responsibly, because that's the biggest thing. It's like, we want to do this the right way, which is why Circle works very closely with regulators around, you know, these stablecoin conversations that are very active right now. And do you find also, especially on that educational path, that your SDRs are, are bumping into a lot of, let's just call it news headlines that might kind of like have people's Misdirection might be a good word to use here. I don't know. Like, you know, but, a lot of the things that you read, especially in the crypto space, are explosive these days. Yeah. Yeah. The term for that in the crypto community is FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, because there's a lot out there that is unsubstantiated. And so I think that Circle does a fantastic job of staying on top of all of the FUD and, and addressing it. So, you know, with the, the recent 
volatility within the crypto marketplace. We have worked to become more transparent. We previously released monthly attestations about the reserves of USDC um, from a third party. We are now releasing them weekly um, with the goal oh, wow. of releasing them daily because we want people to know, you know, if if we say there's, you know, 55 billion or, or however many USDCs in circulation today, that, they, that that is held in reserve and they can feel confident that that's not just, you know, internet funny money, as uh, as Dante says a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's a lot of chickens coming home to roost. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 very difficult what's happening within the industry right now, but it's it's also helping companies like Circle to to really help with the kind of the flight to stability. We've uh, seen we've seen a, a substantial growth in USDC even during this time. And it's because okay. it is such a, a well-regulated stable coin or digital dollar asset. People really believe in it. And it's because of all of the work, all of the groundwork that's been laid since USDC's inception to just make sure that it's fully transparent at all times. That Warren Buffett quote, it's only when the tide goes out that you see who's not wearing their shorts comes yes. to mind at times <laughs> like this, where certain crypto markets are just absolutely bottoming and just seems like new lows every single day. <laughs> so yeah. it's great to hear you guys are are like actually maybe even gaining market share or like at least mind share, brand share. I don't know. If- yeah. I mean, I think with, with crypto being such a new industry, there's there's a lot of experimenting that people want to do and there's they want yeah. to try new things and and it's paid off for a lot of folks and it hasn't for others and i think what what people are kind of realizing right now is like boring is kind of sexy um mm-hmm. and usdc is kind of where they want to where they want to house their funds while things are very volatile it's been really nice to see at least in that respect from our end but overall it, it has it's been a, a difficult time for the industry yeah well maybe that's a ps on a Cold email, boring is sexy. <laughs> <laughs> we do, internally, we say that a lot. It's like USDC, boring is the new sexy. <laughs> hey, it sticks with you. <laughs> I'll get it on. That'll be our next t-shirt. <laughs> That's right. Well, you got a strong sh- swag game already. So Yes. Yeah. Circle swag game. Very strong. Taglines are next. I love it. I love it. Well, listen, this conversation has been absolutely wonderful. And, and thank you for sharing some of your insights and, and journey if you will. I I feel like I've gotten a really good flavor for how you run what appears to be an extraordinarily tight program. And all the growth that follows seems like kind of the residue of really good planning. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's all about laying the groundwork. It's never easy, but it's always rewarding. I think that that at the end of the day, as long as it pays off, it's always worth the effort. So Megan, tell our listeners if they wanted to get in touch with you, either explore, you know, or maybe have a follow-on conversation with anything you've shared here today, where can they do so? Yeah, absolutely. I'm always happy to connect on LinkedIn. I'm going to make sure to spell my first name correctly because it has all of the letters, but is the the official uh, Irish spelling, I've always been told. Ah. Um, you can also find me on Twitter, Megan underscore Hurley. And then if you're interested in checking out more about Circle and what we have to offer uh, besides USDC, we, off- we also offer a, a suite of API services. We have a yield product that is interest bearing. And of course, check out our new Eurocoin. Uh, you can do that right at circle.com. Um, and if you're interested in talking to a member of my team, just go ahead and click the contact sales button and we will be in touch very quickly. I love that. Well done. Nice. Thank, thank, thank you so you. much, Megan. Yeah, thank you, Eric. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.